<clears throat> so I have a short message for you, and um, it's from, um, you have that on the screen, Matthew um, 5, 43 through 48. So let's just go ahead and um, stand, and let's just uh, read it together. <clears throat> Ready? All right. So Jesus is speaking here, and, and, and it's, it, it's from the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, okay, let's go ahead. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Father in heaven, thank you for this moment that you've ordained for each and every one of us here, Lord God. Father, I just pray that you'll speak to us. Father, open our ears that we will hear you, open our minds that we will understand you. And Father, I pray that you'll open our hearts that we will respond to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Turn to someone and say, You're taking him for lunch. <laughs> All right, all right. Um, I I have a joke for you of a 98-year-old lady, okay, in a church. So um, uh, this pastor was preaching on um, forgiving your enemies, like the passage we just read. And so he preached for about 40 minutes, and then um, he asked the congregation, how many of you are willing to forgive your enemies? So about 50% of them raised their hands, okay? But the pastor was not satisfied. So he preached for another 10 minutes and asked the same question again. How many of you are willing to forgive your enemies? This time, 80% raised their hands. But the pastor was still not satisfied. So he preached for another 10 minutes. And he asked the same question again. How many of you are willing to forgive your enemies? This time, everyone raised their hands. Probably they didn't want the pastor to preach any longer, right? Uh, <clears throat> and so everyone raised their hands except for a 98-year-old lady sitting at the back. And so the pastor was puzzled. So he asked the lady, why didn't you raise your hand? And the lady said, Pastor, I don't have any enemies. And everyone, they were so impressed with her. How is it possible? So the pastor called her up front, asked her to share with the congregation, how did she manage not to have any enemies? And the lady said, Pastor, it's really simple. I just outlived all those buggers. (laughs) Well, obviously we're not there yet, right? And uh, we... We have some people that are challenging in our lives, isn't it? Come on, admit it, right? Um, So I just want to share with you my story, how I came to know the Lord 
from a Muslim background through the love of a Christian family. Muslims and Christians, they're enemies to each other. Especially in Pakistan, they want to kill each other. So I just want to share with you my story how I came to know the Lord through the love of a Christian family. And then I'll talk a little bit about God's love and our responsibility in sharing that love with others. Okay? So um, I grew up in a Muslim family where from my childhood I was taught how to pray five times a day. Muslims, they pray five times a day. I'll tell you a little bit about what Muslims believe along the way. So hopefully... It'll help you to talk to Muslims. I don't know if there are Muslims around this area or not, but they are growing in numbers in America. And so hopefully some of the things um, I say will help you to talk to a Muslim. So um, Muslims, they pray five times a day, um, but, uh, and, and they have specific times they have to pray it in. You cannot miss that time, okay? So the first prayer is early in the morning before the sunrise. Uh, the next is at noontime, and then before the sunset and one immediately after the sunset and one at night. So they pray five times a day. But their prayers is a ritual. <clears throat> they, they don't know what they're praying. Isn't that strange? Um, they, because they recite from memorized Arabic scripture, okay? And most Muslims, they don't know how to speak Arabic. Arabic is spoken only in the Middle East, um, uh, but the 90% of the Muslim world, like Indonesia, Malaysia, and all those largest Muslim countries, they don't know how to speak Arabic. But they have to pray it in Arabic. So they memorize verses from their Quran, and, and they just recite that during their prayer. So they don't know what they're praying. It's like a ritual for them. Um, unlike us, when we pray, we know what we're praying, right? I hope we know what we're praying, right? And, and, and there's a... There's a uh, there's a purpose in our prayer, right? And, and when there's a sense of urgency, we pray, right? So we know what we're praying. But there it is, it's a ritual. And, and then I was, uh, <clears throat> um, I was taught how to uh, fast during the month of Ramadan. Muslims, they fast during the entire month of Ramadan. Okay? So they don't eat or drink anything from sunrise to sunset. <clears throat> so... Um, during the long summer days, it can get difficult without food and water for a whole day. But they are allowed to eat during the night, okay? And so it's estimated that more food is consumed during the month of Ramadan than any other month of the year. <laughs> so people are gorging through the night. I, I love Ramadan in Pakistan. You know, restaurants are open and you, you can eat whatever you want. So that's their fasting, right? <clears throat> but when we fast, you know, we, um, it, it's not like that. It, it, it's when we, there's, again, there's when there, we have a sense of urgency, when, when uh, you know, we, f we have a need, we fast and we pray. So there's a purpose in our fasting. But for them, it's just like ritual. And then um, I learned to read my Quran in Arabic. Um, you have to learn to read it in Arabic, okay? It doesn't matter if you don't understand it. But as long as you give it a proper reading, you're supposed to get the blessing. Um, so, so I read my Quran in Arabic. So I prayed five times a day. I've, I've read my Quran. I fasted. And I remember I used to cry out God's name every day, five times a day. But this God that I was crying out every day, I did not know this God. 
Because in Islam, you cannot know God. It is impossible to know God. And to have a personal relationship with God is totally unheard of. So, so God is, is a holy God. He is a powerful God. Uh, and he's beyond our reach. And you, you just leave him alone. And you just concentrate on your good deeds. So they, they believe that if their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds, they have a chance. But um, they don't have the assurance of salvation. And that's an important point to remember, especially when you're talking to a Muslim. Because they're going to talk to you about their good moral life, their, the, the modesty in which they dress, their prayer life, and all these good things that do. And they're all good. There's nothing wrong with them, okay? But at the end of the day, if you ask them, do you know for certain that if you die today, you'll be in heaven? They cannot say it for certain. They don't have the assurance of salvation. Unlike us, uh, those of us who have uh, trusted our life to Jesus, those of us who have um, accepted him as our Lord and Savior, we know for certain, right, that if we die today, we'll be in heaven. Amen? There is no doubt about it. It's not because of how good we are. It's not because of what we have done. But it's because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Amen? He paid the penalty of our sins. So, um, anyway, I used to cry out God's name every day, but I did not know this God. And and so what happens when we don't know God? What happens when we don't have a personal relationship with God? There's something missing in us, isn't it? There's a void in us. It doesn't matter how many times we come to the church. It doesn't matter how many times we read our Bibles. It doesn't matter um, how much money we give. It doesn't matter what we do. If we don't have a personal, intimate relationship with God, there'll be something missing in us. And to have personal, intimate relationship is, is like talking with God all the time. What's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? You, know, you talk with God. You, you pray. You spend time in prayer. You read his word. That's having personal relationship with him. Right? And so... Um, so I was crying out God's name every day, but I did not have a personal relationship with God. I did not know this God. And so I was void and empty inside. Anyway, um, as I grew up, I went into drugs. I thought somehow drugs could fill that emptiness in me. But before I knew it, I was addicted in drugs, all kinds of drugs. My whole life was mess. Uh, to cut the story short, I ended up in jail. And I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about the jail over here, okay, where you get to work out and watch television and that kind of stuff. <laughs> I'm talking about jail in Pakistan. It's like a dungeon. You don't even want to go near that place. That's where I ended up. And it was at that lowest point of my life, I realized my need for a savior. And that is unique for a Muslim because Muslims believe they don't have to be saved. They believe that um, Adam committed a very small mistake, okay? It wasn't a big deal. You know, he committed a very small mistake and God forgave him and then life went on as usual. So no big deal. So they believe when we are born, we're born sinless. That's exactly the opposite of truth, isn't it? Yes. 
Adam, Adam trusted Satan instead of God. Didn't he? He listened to Satan. They listened to Satan instead of God. And because of that, we were separated from God. And we need to be saved by repenting our sins and accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's the only way. There is no other way. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I, I felt my need for a Savior, but I didn't know who this person would be. There was no one to tell me. Anyway, as I got out of jail, I got myself a job, which was another miracle how I got that job. And then I was assigned a desk next to this beautiful young lady. Happens to be my wife today. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> now, I did not know she was a Christian. Okay, Her name is Nasim. It's an Arabic name, and it's usually a Muslim name. So I didn't know she was a Christian. Had I known she was a Christian, perhaps I would have found some excuse and try and sit elsewhere. That's your boyfriend. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so had I known she was a Christian, I, I perhaps would have found some excuse and sit elsewhere. You know why? Because as a Muslim, I do not care for Christians. I do not like Christians. To be a Christian is the worst thing that can happen to you in Pakistan. Nobody wants to associate with you. you you're like sinners. Uh, you worship three gods. You worship a prophet as God. Uh, you get drunk. In fact, in Pakistan, Christians are the only ones who have the official government permit to purchase alcohol. Somehow they have justified it in their faith. And, uh, and it's funny, when they make a movie in that part of the world, portraying a Christian man in the movie, the guy usually has a large wooden cross hanging on his neck, hanging on his neck and he has a whiskey bottle in his hand. That's how you know he's a Christian. Can you imagine? Yeah, that's the concept of Christianity over there. In fact, when they look to the West and see all the immoralities that goes on on television and in Hollywood, they associate that with Christians. And, and so um, I didn't know she was a Christian, but I know God had a plan of salvation for my life. I really believe that God chose my wife and her family to shower his love upon me. Now, I was told from my childhood that Christians are bad people. But when the Lord brought me to my wife and her family, I found them to be godly people. They were different from some of the Christians I knew that were getting drunk outside the church parking lot. These people were godly people. They were walking with the Lord. And, and, and so uh, that made me curious. And I, I, I wanted to know a little bit more about Christianity. So I got hold of a Bible, and I began to read the Bible sincerely. I say sincerely because <clears throat> as, a, as a Muslim, I believed in the Bible. Muslims are supposed to believe in the Bible. The Quran tells them to believe in the Bible. But they are led to believe by their leaders that the Jews and the Christians have corrupted the word of God. They have changed the word of God. So what we have today is not authentic. That's what they believe. So if you give a Bible to a Muslim, maybe to oblige you, uh, he or she may take it from you, but chances are they're not going to read it. 
But I really wanted to read it. And I believe it was at that point when I began to read the word of God sincerely. Something began to happen in me. I cannot explain it to you. I had never read anything like that before in my whole life. <clears throat> I had read Quran, even memorized portions of it, but that didn't do nothing to me. But this Bible I was reading was really touching me. Now, as a Muslim, I knew Jesus as a prophet. Muslims, they believe in Jesus as a prophet, great prophet, and they have great respect for him. So I knew Jesus as a prophet, <clears throat> but as I read the Gospel of John, I began to know him as more than a prophet. Amen? Gospel of John says, in the beginning was the? Word, and the word was with? And the word was? God. And then it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then I read the stories about Jesus, the things he said, uh, his love and his compassion for people. Everything that I read, read about him began to touch me in a deeper way. And I finally became convinced that yes, this is the word of God. It has to be the word of God because it was changing me inside out. And so I met a pastor who uh, mentored me and then he invited me over to his church and he said, you can bring your guitar along in the church. And I love playing guitar, okay? <clears throat> and I couldn't play guitar in the mosque. They'd probably shoot me for that, right? So that was the best part. I could take my guitar in the church and play along with the worship team. And I, I just loved going to church. And everybody in the church, they were so loving. And another pastor took me to a convention that was going on in the capital city of Pakistan. Um, the city itself is a fairly modern city with good, good infrastructure. But within the city, there are slums. There are mud houses. Uh, very poor condition. They, they don't have electricity there. They don't have clean water there. Uh, there's no gas. And, and so they, and, and all the Christians, they live there. And they usually do menial job for the city. They do cleaning job. And, and they live in, a, in extreme poverty. And that's where the convention was going on. And it was such a humbling experience for me that God decided to save me. God decided to give me eternal life among the very people that I hated. It was difficult for me to go, but I, I went there and I listened to the gospel and there was an invitation at the end and I just stood up and I just surrendered my life to Jesus and praise the Lord, since that day, all my drug addiction started to go away. And I was a completely changed person. And I praise the Lord for that. But you know what? Yes, amen. <clears throat> but you know what? It all happened. It all happened because one Christian family, they were walking with the Lord. One Christian family shared their love with me. I was welcome in their house. As a Muslim, I was welcome in their house. Like I said, Muslims and Christians, they're enemies to each other. And you know what? These people, they didn't argue with me about my faith. They didn't say anything negative about my faith. They just simply shared the love of Christ with me. And their love changed my life forever. And there will be many Muslims 
There will be many Muslim converts will tell you exactly the same thing. I was at a convention in London where they had invited all the Muslim converts and there was a panel of them and they were asked this question. And amazingly, each and every one of them said exactly the same thing. Yes, they had dreams and vision, but they were always led to someone. And they all said that they came to know the Lord not because of a debate or an argument, but because someone shared their love with them. A friend, a neighbor, a fellow worker. And their love changed their lives forever. And so Jesus said, give us two greatest commandments, right? You know they are? Love the Lord, your God. Excellent. And the second one he said is, yes, he said second is like the first one, which is love your neighbors as yourself. These are the greatest commandments. And both of them are on love, isn't it? And um, Jesus said that everything that's in the Bible, all the commandments that are there in the Bible. They hang on these two commandments. Love the Lord and love your neighbor. So there was this expert in the law, a Jewish expert in the law. He wanted to justify himself, the Bible says. So he, he came to Jesus and he asked him, so who is my neighbor? Because according to the Hebrew tradition, a neighbor was a fellow Hebrew brother. A neighbor was one of his own Hebrew brothers. So he was probably good to his fellow brothers. He was probably good to his buddies. And so the Bible says he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? And in response, Jesus shared the parable of the Good Samaritan. You all know that, right? It's an excellent parable. Excellent parable of showing mercy to others, right? But there is something going on in this parable. Jesus picks three characters, right? He picks a priest, he picks a Levite. Who's the third character he picked? A Samaritan. He picked a Samaritan, okay? You all know the story. There was this man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Along the way, he gets robbed and beaten, and he was left to die. This priest comes along, sees the man, but doesn't do a thing. He walks away, and then the Levite comes, he sees the man, he doesn't do a thing, he walks away. But a Samaritan comes and he actually stops and helps the guy and saves his life. Do you know why Jesus picked a Samaritan to be the good neighbor out of all the people? They were the least of these. And Jews hated them. Jews hated them from the core of their heart. And, uh, and when Jesus is sharing this story, of course the expert in the law is a Jew, and then whenever Jesus shares a story, there's a crowd of people, so probably they're all Jews there, right? And so Jews hated Samaritans from the core of their heart. In fact, when Jesus finished saying the parable, he turned um, the question back to the expert in the law, and he asked him, so who do you think was the neighbor to the man? 
And the expert in the law, he was kind of put on spot because he couldn't even say the word Samaritan from his mouth because if he said the word Samaritan from his mouth, he'll become unholy. That's how much they hated Samaritans. So he said, uh, instead he said, the one who had mercy. That's how much they hated Samaritans. And so in essence, Jesus was telling the expert in the law that it could be your enemy who's your neighbor. It could be the one you hate, your neighbor. Wow. Isn't that awesome? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We live in a world where there's so much hatred going on, isn't it? There's so much hatred going on. And, and, and Satan tries to create hatred and bitterness in our hearts um, for others, uh, maybe for people who don't look like us, who don't talk like us, or maybe he, people who don't like us. Satan tries to put hatred and bitterness in our hearts for them. And we live in a media-saturated society where every day we are bombarded with news, all kinds of news. Satan uses those things to create hatred and bitterness in our hearts for others. You know why? Because he knows that it is impossible to share the gospel with hatred and bitterness in our hearts, isn't it? What is the gospel? Is it a message of hate or is it a message of love? It's a message of God's unconditional love for the whole world. Jesus died for the whole world, didn't he? And with hatred and bitterness in our hearts, it is impossible to share the love of Christ with others. It's like oxymoron, right? It's like, brother, I, brother, God loves you, but I hate you. It doesn't work that way, right? And so, uh, you know, Satan tried to create hatred in our hearts when when the church attack happened. You know, we, um, it was a beautiful day and all of a sudden it was like hell broke loose and uh, we were taken to the hospital. We were left in the corridor to die. There was nobody attending on us. I didn't know where my wife was and then eventually I was taken to the emergency room and, and, and I was bleeding to death and I was in excruciating pain and I'm like, you know, we were there to help them. We left the comforts of America, sold everything, went over there, literally picking up their drug addicts from the street, bringing them to our center, feeding them, clothing them. We were there to help them. Why did they hurt us? And, and we were just worshiping in the house of God. We were not hurting anyone. Why did they hurt us? Hatred began to creep in. But right there in the emergency, emergency room, God showed me a vision of Jesus on the cross. And he reminded me through that vision what Jesus had to go through. Jesus literally had to go through hell, didn't he? He hung on the cross for hours with the pain that is beyond our understanding. Right? For who? For you, for me, Right? but also for them. Jesus died for the whole world. So God reminded me that. And the prayer that came out of my mouth right there in the emergency room was the same prayer that Jesus prayed on the cross. What did he pray? Father, 
Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Wow. That is challenging, isn't it? That is challenging, but that's what we are called to do as Christians. We are called to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And so, um, so I don't know your story, but God knows your story. God knows each and everything about you. He knows your hurt. He knows your pain. He knows what you've been through. And today, he's asking you to just let go. Just let go. So that he can make you a channel of his love into a world that is dying around us without knowing Christ. God wants to use each and every one of you. This, this church has to be filled with hurting people. And if God can, you know, God can save people just like that. He's God, right? There's nothing impossible for him. But instead, he doesn't choose to do it that way. Instead, he chooses you and I to stand alongside of him and just share the love of Christ with the world. So, you know, God can use each and every one of you. I'm sure he's using you, but this place needs to be filled, you know, and we need to make disciples. You know, the, the, the Great Commission, go and make disciples hmm, of all nations. Uh, we often put a lot of stress on go, right? But did you know go is not even the main verb in this sentence, Yes, it's, it's important for us to send missionaries overseas to unreached places. Yes, we need to do that, okay? But the word go is not even the main verb. What's the main verb in the sentence? Go and make disciples. That's the main verb. Go and make disciples of all nations. And that includes people from all different backgrounds, right? Black, yellow, brown, whatever. And so one of the simplest way to make disciples is to invite them to the church. Invite your friends from school to the church. You can tell them, hey, come listen to me singing, right? Your workplaces, invite them to the church. You go to your grocery stores, your salons, you know, invite people to the church. That's what the Good Samaritan did, didn't he? He took the man to an inn. Church is an inn, isn't it? It's like a hospital, right? And so we ought to invite people into the church. And you won't imagine how many people have got saved because someone invited them to the church. Somebody invited me to the church. I got saved. So all you have to do is just invite people into the church. And I know God has great plans for all of you, great plans for your lives. Amen? Thank you so much for having us, Pastor. If you want to come and close the service, thank you so much. God bless.